In this portion of uh, Matthew, we're looking through some challenges that Jesus gives to us, and uh, we're working through them together. So we're in chapter 15 of Matthew today. I'd like you to have a Bible because I want you to see a definition that Jesus gives to our topic. Anybody didn't bring a Bible, we have one for you. Anybody need it? There's one right there. Anybody else need a Bible? There's one back there. How about over here? Anybody over on this side? I'll help point you out. Okay, I think we got them. Good. Uh, on that Bible, it's page 479. On your Bible, it's whatever page you got it on. Pay, uh, Matthew chapter 15. And you have a little worksheet in your bulletin that you can work on. Mine's already filled out. I don't know whether yours is yet or not. Um, Today's topic is hypocrisy. Aren't you excited you came today? <laughs> I mean, nobody wants to talk about hypocrisy. Nobody does. I mean, what, what kind of a sermon is that for church? Talking about, I mean, we don't even like the word. Nobody wants to be called a hypocrite. That, that is just, uh, that's terrible. And yet, you know, we can be hypocrites. It's not a religious term. We can be hypocrites as husbands, as parents, as friends. Uh, we can be hypocrites with our income tax. <laughs> we can be hypocrites in a lot of ways. And Jesus is saying to us today in Matthew chapter 15, I don't want you to be a hypocrite. And that's the challenge. Are you willing to accept that challenge today? Now, none of us would say, oh, I plan to be a hypocrite with my life. None of us would do that, and none of us would want to look in a mirror and say, you hypocrite. But we all know that we fall short, and we end up that way. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and 7, when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about being a hypocrite. And in chapter 6, he talks about some ways that we're hypocrites. He says in uh, verses 1 through 4, sometimes you do the good things, but for the wrong reason. And he's talking about giving to the needy. And he says, sometimes you give to the needy not because you care, although it looks like that, but you really care, you give it to them because you want to look good. You want maybe a tax rebate. You want you want to get uh, somebody off your case. So you do it for that reason, and that makes you, he says, a hypocrite. And later in chapter 6, standing on the mount, preaching to all those people, he says, oh, wait, there's, there's one more here. He says, uh, sometimes you do it to just show off. And he used for an illustration prayer. He says, sometimes you pray. You stand, you, you give glorious prayers. I mean, there the words are wonderful. The, you, you just have such, such wonderful rhythm to it. But that's the only time you ever pray. It's when people can hear you pray because you want to show off to them and you're a hypocrite, he says. I'm not saying, Jesus is saying this. And later in chapter 6, up on that mountain, he says, sometimes there's things that ought to be between just between you and God. Just between you and God. Like, for instance, he says, fasting. 
You know, it's not to lose weight. That's losing weight. Fasting is when you decide not to eat during a meal time so that you can spend that time communing with God. He says, now that's okay to do, but when you go around and go, oh no, I'm not eating today. Oh no, 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 I'm not eating. I'm fasting. <clears throat> You're a hypocrite. Because that's between you and me. You shouldn't be talking to other people about it. Uh, he, he's already talked about being a hypocrite. <clears throat> he says uh, in chapter 7, sometimes you actually begin to judge people. You look out there and you judge. Now, we're all capable of doing that. We kind of look, we make judgments. He uses the illustration of trying to take the speck out of them and pointing out the speck in their life when you have a log in your eye, remember? You have a log in your eye. I could never figure that one out. He said, but you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite when that happens. So here in chapter 15, he actually defines hypocrisy. Look at it with me. We're down in verse number 7. <coughs> and he says, okay, you hypocrites. He starts the sentence with that. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? Way back, he reaches back and grabs an Old Testament prophet, <clears throat> brings him forward and says, hypocrisy is really old. Isaiah talked about it. I'm talking about it. It's going to be around a long time. I'm going to challenge you to do something about it, and I want you to accept that challenge. Hypocrisy is this. It's people who honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They can come and worship. They can come and read scripture. They can come and sing songs. They can come and pray, but their heart isn't there. Their heart is targeting something else. They're faking it. They're faking it. Ever feel like a fake? In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When I uh, went to the store, I lived in Ecuador for 30 years. And so uh, I had down the, the job of going to the store. And when I go to the store and get milk, it's usually in a plastic bag, and it's either there or not there. You don't have any choices. And when I went to get eggs, they were in a bucket. Somebody had brought them in, and they were just eggs. You didn't have choices of anything else. They, some of them even had little chicks in them. And bread was either made or not made. It was done at a bakery, and if you got there too late, the bread was gone. It was easy to go to the store. I didn't mind going to the store and went almost every day because you couldn't get large quantities. So then we come back to the States, and my wife sends me to the store. Your stores are a nightmare. You've got so many choices. I mean, you have eggs of all colors and sizes and you have milk that goes from 100% milk to non-milk milk. <laughs> you got bread that's colored. Rows of bread. Some of your bread has stuff growing on it. <laughs> I get the eggs and the bread and the milk, put them in my cart. The thing I love about your grocery stores is you have that little counter that's called Express Lane. I love that express lane, unless 
there's a cart in front of it like this. <laughs> now, I know you don't do this, but when I'm in an express lane, I don't have a lot to do, so I tend to count. <laughs> okay, you do do it, don't you? Oh, okay. I tend to count how many items are in that cart in front of me. This lady was really over the limit. And she had two kids between her cart and my cart that she had lost count of. And they, they were just messing around. You know how some people are prepared when they get places and other people are never prepared? Well, this was an unprepared person. She got up there to pay and said, oh, I have to pay. And she opened this big bag and started diving into it, looking for whatever she was going to use to pay. All I wanted to do was get out of that store. And when I started counting this cart, there's a little seed of resentment beginning to grow. Now, I know you've never experienced this. But it just kind of began to percolate inside of me. And when she was digging through that bag, I was going, oh. And when she found those crumpled up coupons <laughs> and brought them out to see if they're still good, <laughs> right about then, this little voice said to me, you know, she's probably had a really tough day. I could agree with that, looking at these kids. <laughs> Why don't you tell her I love her? There was no way. <laughs> I'm sorry. Doesn't sound very spiritual. But there was no way I was going to do that. First of all, I didn't love her. I had a resentment toward her. Secondly, there were two carts between us and two kids. Thirdly, there was a lot of people around. And fourthly, I didn't know how to even start to say, God loves you. I, I didn't know how to do that. So I threw all of these reasons to God. I knew it was God, because the devil has never, ever tempted me to say, God loves you. Mm. And she finally paid and left. And of course, being quick, I paid instantly and left. And as I was going out, God said, good job, Pastor Ron. I can really count on you, can't I? I can still remember him saying that. And I was reminded of that this week. And I've been reminded of it multiple times. This week, Pastor Ty was teaching in our journey of faith on Wednesday mornings that you're all invited to. And he was teaching on the fruit of the spirit of love. And he just talked about people need to know that God loves them. And right when he said that, God reminded me that I blew an opportunity, an assignment. I said I was a follower of Christ and there I stood in a grocery store line, and I became an unfollower of Christ because I didn't do what Christ told me to do. 
And I had to then repent and apologize and make all kinds of promises as I was walking out the door. I, can, I will never forget the experience because it was so disappointing to me that I blew it. I was a hypocrite, folks, on the spot. It happens. All of us have experienced when we have blown it as Christians or as husbands or as children, uh, parents. Barb and I last month in Mongolia found out that they're having a problem with hypocrites. People are saying, I want to be a Christian because they gain something from that. They think that if they become a Christian because Christianity is an American religion, they think, then they will gain something from America. So they've tried to figure out how do we kind of put these people to a test. So they've decided baptism, public baptism. If you're not willing to be publicly baptized, you're probably not really, really, really a Christian. Now their public baptism is a little different than our wonderful baptism up here. Uh, I have a picture here. Here's some men getting ready to get baptized. Handsome group, wonderful group, men, followers of Christ. But are they really followers of Christ? Because here's the baptism. Cut a hole in the ice and lower them into the water. The two guys doing the baptism are warm. That poor guy coming out of the water. His hands are up, but he's not praising the Lord right there. He's trying to catch his breath. And then he'll praise the Lord. It'd be amazing if the Lord had that kind of a test for us, wouldn't it? So here we are in chapter 5, let's just, or 15. Let's just, let's just set the, the scene. Jesus has, has been um, uh, teaching the parables. We went through those in the fall. And then he went to his hometown. That rejected him. We talked about that. And then John the Baptist was killed. Talked about that. Actually murdered. And then Jesus fed 5,000. Talked about that last week. And so right at the end of chapter 14, he is down in a little town just south of Capernaum. Just south. A little town. Smaller than Capernaum. And when the men of that place recognized him, verse 35... They sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, the fringe of his garment, were made well. Can you imagine the show going on? People coming from all over. The word was out. Yo, come over here. If you just touch him, you're going to be well. People fighting through the crowd to touch Jesus. And then the celebration because suddenly they were well. Can you even in your mind get a picture of what that must have been like? Talk about shouting joyfully and celebrating and being excited. Seeing miracles. And then through the crowd came a group, chapter 15. They kind of wove their way, and they were such pompous men that people scattered. The joy subsided. 
the praise was minimized as these religious, legal men came walking up to Jesus, who is in the midst of a most joyful explosion of his grace and mercy. You all come. It's special today. Everybody gets healed. I mean, can you imagine what that must have been like? And in walk these men. They have walked for a hundred miles to ask Jesus a question. All the way from Jerusalem, they came to this little town to ask Jesus a question. How come you don't keep the traditions of our fathers? If you're like me, you're going, what? You walked 100 miles to ask Jesus that question? The other day I was driving along, and I just, in my imagination, I thought, wonder if Jesus were sitting in the passenger seat of my car. Wonder if he was sitting there in his robe, looking out the window at everything he'd created and what we've done with it. What? And, and I had a chance to ask him something. What, what would I ask him? I don't know whether you think about things like that, but I do. I certainly wouldn't ask him this. Why don't you keep the traditions of our fathers? But you see, this was, this was a peg in the bottom of a stack. They're building a mountain of hostility and anger and resentment toward Jesus because he doesn't keep the traditions of the father, of their fathers. He doesn't do it the way they do it. And that tradition continues to, to fester and build in their hearts because it's so important, and it just kind of comes up through the system, and eventually those same scribes and Pharisees will be saying, his blood be upon our heads and the heads of our family. They wanted him to do it their way. Anybody have that problem with God? You want him to do it your way? So Jesus answers. And in his answer, there's three components. And I've decided that we can really get some help here on a challenge to keep us from being hypocrites from saying we're followers of Jesus and not following him. The, the first thing he said is you got to make a choice between commandments and traditions. He didn't answer their question of why he didn't keep their traditions. He just turned around and he said, well, let me ask you this. Why don't you keep the commandments of my father? Some of us are really good with traditions, not so hot with commandments. Standing in that grocery store, I, I was pretty good with traditions, but not good with commandments. We have all kinds of traditions. There's nothing wrong with traditions. But when traditions take the place of commandments, then it is wrong. And one of the commandments that God has, that Pastor Ty talked about, is this commandment to love. 
And if you look at this worksheet that we put in the bulletin, you will find on the bottom 10 more ways that you can keep from being a, a hypocrite. And on the bottom of that, in those 10 slots, it's all the same word. I'll help you here. <laughs> Love is a really important word. These scribes and Pharisees were not talking about love. They were talking about doing it our way. And if God only had one commandment and he says, well, the greatest commandment, let's see, the greatest commandment is really easy. It's love. I want you to love God. I want you to love other people. It's love. Are we keeping that commandment? If we're not, we're hypocrites. That's what Jesus would say. The second thing he says is, has to do with our great little store close by, the In-N-Out store. He says, it's not so bad what you take in. What really counts is what comes out. Here, here's how he says it. Look at, look at verse uh, 10. And he called the people to him and said, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then you go down to verse 20, uh, 16, and he says, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So number one, do you accept the challenge that maybe you should live by commandments, do what God has told you to do, rather than by tradition, what man tells you to do? Do you accept that? Number two, do you accept that it's more important what comes out of your mouth than what goes into your mouth? I mean, many of us, many of us made resolutions, didn't we, about what goes into our mouth. How you doing? <laughs> I made one about chocolate. Really dumb to make it. I, I, really didn't, I really didn't expect to keep it, but I wondered how long I could keep it. Yesterday I was flying back from Seattle, and this gal comes down the aisle with a tray of raw temptation. She was probably the devil. It was chocolate. And I had one. <laughs> I grew up in a home that um, was very locked into tradition. My parents were very careful about what I said, so I had this one down, but the tradition one I did not have down very well. Um, I really resented it. They, uh, they had a lot of rules. 
and their rules didn't make a lot of sense to me. It really got down to the basis of Christianity, was, which is why I rejected Christianity as a youth. Christianity was uh, anything that was fun was sin. It's really what it came down to. And an interesting, just an illustration, an interesting sidebar was that anything that was read was sin. It was associated with the devil. I don't know why that was, I don't know. But that's where they got it, and that's what we were taught. So we had nothing read. No shirts, no, my sister, no dresses, blouses. I, um, as a teenager, I worked on cars and loved rebuilding cars, and I found, a, I had a dream car that I had always been looking for for a long time, and I found it in a wrecking yard. The body had been in an accident, but I figured I could fix it. The A-frame was still in good shape. Uh, needed an engine. I could find an engine and drop it in it. So I worked on it. My dad and I worked on it. We had a great time rebuilding this car, making it nice. Got it all primed and ready to go, and upholstery was in it. Took it to the painter. I was going to paint it white all over. Not, not a real flashy car, but just white. And the painter said, you cannot paint this white. I, I, in fact, I will not paint it if you paint it white. Why? Because it, it, this car can't be white. It's got to be cherry red. <laughs> and when he talked to me, I built this car. Cherry red. When I got home, My mother had a great uh, conflict between commandment and challenge and uh, tradition. Commandment to love her son, who she didn't really claim as a son at that point. <laughs> you got any of these in your life? How about words coming out of your mouth? Got any of those in your life? Things that you say that do not honor God. Things that you say that do not please Him. Got any of those in your life? There's one more. He has this little interesting piece in verse 13. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the pit. One, he says you need to accept the challenge that commandments are more important than tradition. If God says it, that's more important than if man says it. So what does God say? Do that. What does man say? Then think about doing that. You might do it. Tradition, nothing wrong with tradition. But there is something wrong with ignoring commandments. Accept that challenge or reject it. Two, you need to deal with the fact that what goes in isn't nearly as important as what comes out. Will you accept the challenge to guard what comes out of your mouth? What you say to people, the words you use, the way you say it. He has a, he has a 
list of words down here in this bottom verse that says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. You know, we, we can take the big four out of there. Let's take murder, adultery, sexual immorality, and theft, assuming that we're not caught up in that all the time. Let's take that out. How about evil thoughts? How about false witness? How about slander? He puts those in the same category. Those come out of the mouth. So, are you, are you sure that you can take that commitment, that challenge? And three, how about the people you follow, the guides in your life? The people you like to quote, the people you kind of worship, the people you appreciate the most, the people you, you talk about, the people who kind of you want to be like. In America, we even have an American Idol. It's an amazing thing in, in our country that we would have that. But we've got all of these people, too. These are people that are fun people. They're movie stars. They're, they're television people. They're athletes, their leaders, their people who have influenced our lives. Who are you following? Who are you copying with your life? Who are you trying to be like? Jesus would say, if you're not trying to be like Jesus, but you say you're a follower of Jesus, then you're probably a hypocrite. If the words of one of these people is more important to you then the words of God, eh, you might be a hypocrite. In fact, if there's a conflict between what they say and what God says, and you choose to respond to what they say, woo, maybe you're not what you think you are, a follower of Jesus. So, I'm in the grocery store ready to come out. I've repented. I'm feeling pretty crummy. I was reminded of all of this last Wednesday when Pastor Ty was speaking about telling people God loves. God will do that. He'll remind you the rest of your life. I repented. Would you believe that when I came out, her car was parked right next to mine? <laughs> it was like God says, okay, let's see if you're going to do it right this time. And being a person who's not real prepared, she was still digging through her purse, <laughs> looking for her keys. The kids were banging the cart into my car. I parked my cart, and I thought, I started to think, well, there's no way out here in the park. It's dark. We're alone. No, this is not good. I mean, all of that went through my mind. And then I realized what I just told the Lord. I'd made a promise. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I knew what that felt like. So I said to her, oh, I'm so glad I caught up with you. I have a message to deliver to you. <laughs> Whoa. She's looking around for help immediately. <laughs> she's positioning her cart so that that stalker can't get to her. I mean, she's... And I told her immediately what I had to say. She just stared at me. And then we got into the most amazing conversation 
Do you know what? I forgot all about her kids. I can't even tell you what they were doing during that time. It gives a sense of fulfillment and joy. And today I look back on that experience with joy, not shame. How are you going to live your life? With joy or with shame? Embarrassed or proud to be a follower of Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that you call us to follow you. You invite us to be like you. You whisper to us and tell us what we should do and how we should do it. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You implant your Holy Spirit within us. He gives us different fruit so that we can be successful in being like you. You have done it all. Lord, all we have to do is accept the challenge. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand.